Job 23, starting with verse number 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, and it should be behind me. Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him, and I would fill my mouth with arguments, and I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, and I cannot behold him, when he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that your word would go forth in power and boldness today. We pray, Lord, that uh, everything that's said and everything that's done, Lord, may bring you the glory today. And uh, we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Today, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, when you can't find God, when you can't find God. Somebody say that with me this morning. When you can't find God. When you can't find God. How many remembers that old game that we used to play growing up called hide and seek? I know it's a game that most of us don't play anymore because we're grown adults. And uh, most of us wouldn't even dare to play a game like that anymore since we've been introduced to the iPad. Since we've been introduced to the computer, we wouldn't dare play such games like that anymore. We are too high-tech now. But growing up in West Virginia, I didn't know what else to do but to play in the mud and play hide-and-seek in the dark. And Yes, even in the church house, we even played hide-and-seek. And you know the object of the game is one of your peers would go hide and count to a certain number, and when that number was up, you had to go find that person. The object of the game is, is you had to find the person in the dark. Sometimes that was scary. Sometimes, especially if you played the game in the church. There's something about playing hide-and-seek in the church that kind of makes you feel uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but how many's ever been in a dark church all by yourself late at night? Doesn't make you feel comfortable, does it, Pastor Sean? <laughs> the object of the game is to find the person in the dark, and then, of course, you feel real relieved after you find the person. I kind of think that sometimes our relationship with the Lord is likened to that game I used to play as a boy, hide and seek. Sometimes I feel like in my own relationship with God, trying to search for Him, and I can't find Him. You ever been there before? Have you ever been there where you so desperately wanted to hear God's voice. 
you so desperately wanted to touch God or feel God or, or hear anything from God. And it seems like that no matter how much you fumbled in the darkness or try to find your way through the clutter of life, that you couldn't find Him, that you didn't hear God, or I know that you're not supposed to base your relationship upon feelings. We know that. We are mature Christians. I get that. But sometimes it's, it's good that we can sense God. Sometimes it's good that we can even feel God at times. Have you ever been there where you felt empty and you felt weak and you felt as though God was a million miles away and you tried to do everything you knew to do to get God's attention. And yet, there is no response. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have that problem. But deep inside of me, I can't help but to believe that all of us, at one time or another, we've all experienced that in our spiritual journey. We've all had to wrestle with that. As a matter of fact, I, I believe that our spiritual journey is like a season. There are seasons where we do sense God and things are right. And then there are seasons where it seems like we can't find God. You see, we're not the only one. The patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Bible, those great men and women of God, they experienced the same thing. We come to a great man this morning, a great man of faith, but yet a great man who was also troubled in many things. His name is Job. I'm sure you've heard of him many times. I'm reminded in Job chapter 1 and verse number 4 that Job was blameless, Job was upright, and Job shunned all evil. Now, this man... I would say in my book, is a man of character, a man of integrity, a man of holiness. But yet, this man of character, this man of integrity, and this man of holiness still wrestled in trying to find God. The text I just read to you, Job said, if I could just plead my case with you, God, if I could just sit down with you for one day, and plead my case with you, then I, I would feel better about my situation. I mean, have you ever thought that way before? I mean, God, if, if you could just call me in your office for one day, and I could sit in that seat and just plead my case with you, I'd feel better. That's how Job felt. I mean... Job is a blameless man, an upright man, a man that shuns evil, but yet Job was a man who was wrestling with God. Where are you? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Job wasn't wrestling with the issue of the reality of God. I mean, Job wasn't wrestling with, is God real? Job knew God was real. Job wasn't wrestling with the sovereignty of God or the 
providence of God, Job understood that. The issue was not the reality of God. The issue with Job was the intimacy with God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you and I this morning, we're not wrestling with the idea of the reality of God. You wouldn't be here. You are here this morning because you know there is a God. You are here this morning because you know deep inside that there is a God and He sits high and He looks low and there is not a question in your heart and there's not a question in your mind that God does not exist. You know God exists. You know He exists. You know that God is real. We are not here to debate the reality of God. Question is not the reality of God. Sometimes the question is the closeness of this God. Sometimes the question is the intimacy of this God. I have never doubted whether God was real. I'm sure you don't doubt whether God is real. Romans chapter number 1 tells us that nature proclaims the reality of God. The Bible is not a textbook to defend the reality of God. It assumes you understand that God exists. Sometimes we wrestle as a people, as a community of faith, of the closeness of this God. I don't know about you, but there is a longing in me, and I assume there is a longing in you to be close to not just any God, but to the true and living God of the universe. Did you hear me this morning? There is a yearning inside of us to be close to God. And that is why people fall for false religions and cults. Because within each of us, there is a longing to be close to a higher power. There is a longing in us to be close to a God. And this morning, we know who that God is. He is the God that's revealed in the pages of this book called the Bible. In the Old Testament, He is the God of our forefather called Abraham. He appeared to Isaac and He appeared to Jacob. And He also revealed Himself in the New Covenant as His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the God who has revealed Himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Son. Glory be to the Holy Ghost. One God. Sometimes it's not the reality of God. It's the closeness of this God. A.W. Tozer, a great writer, said, when you feel as though God is distant, you've got to ask yourself the question, who moved? Could it be that in our quest in finding God, in our quest in getting close to God, could it be that maybe, just maybe, we were unaware 
that throughout our life, that it was just the little steps we took away from God. That eventually we woke up and we were further from God than we thought we were. Sometimes the little inches, they're not noticeable. But if you do it day in and day out and year after year, it becomes noticeable. Oh, praying, missing your prayer time tomorrow, that's really not a big deal. Missing your Bible study a day or two, that's not a big deal. Taking an inch or two, it's not a big deal. But week after week, day after day, year after year, Inch by inch, inch by inch, inches becomes miles until one day you wake up and your inches have become miles apart from God Almighty. If we are not aware of it, church, the little things in our life becomes the big things in our life. And then one day we wake up and we're further from God than we thought we were. That's why we encourage you. Five minutes of prayer is better than five minutes of not praying. Because it's five minutes getting closer to Him. Oh, somebody say amen. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Five minutes every day is five minutes more closer to Him in years. Have you ever thought to yourself, what's ever happened to me? Relationships just don't break overnight. It's the inches. It's the words. It's the thoughts. Little things. Church people just don't give up over one thing. It's the little things. Over and over. Job said, I'm searching for you, God. Where are you? I think, I think it's good. Sometimes we have that in us to search for God. I think it's good in us to search for Him. I think it's good that God plays hide and seek sometimes from us. Because it's in our pursuing of Him that we find out that He was all we ever needed in the first place. Did you hear me this morning? You see, the three Hebrew boys was thrown in the fiery furnace. And we preach about how the fourth man was likened unto the Son of God. But did you know that they didn't see the fourth man in the furnace? The king saw the fourth man in the furnace. Sometimes we don't even see God at work in our own life. But I can look at your life and say, God is working. And you're like, Pastor, my life is falling apart. And I could see from a distance. I know you're in the fire, but it looks like there's somebody else in the fire with you. 
Somebody say amen. Sometimes you can't see the fourth man, but sometimes somebody else can see the fourth man working in your life. So don't be fooled by what you see. Salt can look like sugar. Don't be fooled by what you see. What you see can fool you and what you hear can fool you. Sometimes you just got to know about what you know. You see, uh, if it's about the closeness of God, what, what moves us? I'm convinced that there are certain things in our life that, that moves us away from God. I'm convinced there are some things that we intentionally do that moves us away from God. Number one, I'm convinced that the burden of busyness really does move us away from God. And I'm convinced that we live in a busy world, don't we? And I hear an amen about that. I mean, a lot of you are very busy. America is the most overworked country in the world. I mean, now we go on vacation, and you need to come home from vacation to take a... We are busy, 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 busy. And we think that if we are busy, we are significant. We think if we're busy, then we are important. We think that if I'm doing something in the church, then I'm important. Because I'm busy. Ladies and gentlemen, busyness can be a burden. And busyness can take us away from God. Did you hear what this preacher is saying? Sometimes we're always moving, always doing, but we're never setting and becoming. You see, I'm reminded of Mary and Martha. You know the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. You know what I'm talking about. One was serving and one was at the feet of Jesus. You see, sometimes we've got to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary and not be so cumbered about the serving. If you do not listen to me, listen to this preacher. If, listen to my heart, if you don't sit at his feet like Mary, you will have a problem with those who serve. Why are they serving in the church? Why are they doing that? I've been going to this church longer. Why are they doing this? Because sitting at the feet of Jesus gives you a proper perspective about serving. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus said, listen, Martha is cumbered about many things, but what Mary is doing, she is doing what's right. Ladies and gentlemen, don't be so burdened with busyness. What do you mean, pastor? Number one, you have to learn to say some no to some things. Just because there's an open door doesn't mean it's a divine opportunity. I'm, that's some good preaching right there. Just because it's an open door doesn't mean it's a divine opportunity. Number two, you've got to learn to be disconnected at times. You've got to learn to be disconnected from people and resources. 
at times. And number three, you've got to learn to rest. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was established for rest, not necessarily worship. It's interesting that you cannot worship God unless you are rested. How are you going to give God your best when you're falling asleep in church? How are you going to give God your best when you're so tired? How are you going to give God your best when you're barely making it? You've got to learn to rest. You've got to learn to take a day a week. Now listen, I'm working on that. I've become better, but I'm still working on it. Because your body can only do as much as the body was created to do. And you've got to learn to rest. Can I hear an amen? That's some good preaching right there. The burden of busyness. The burden of busyness. Number two, what are some things that pulls us away from the closeness of God? It is a poor prayer life. A poor prayer life. There is the burden of busyness and then there is the poor prayer life. Christianity Today said that the average Christian prays 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day. We have stress this high. We have marriage problems this high. We have situations this high and prayer this low. And we wonder what's wrong with our life. The reason that you're so quiet is because most of you, according to the statistic, pray less than 15 minutes a day this week. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to get on to you. I'm just saying according to statistics, that's what we've done. I say that sincerely. You understand what I'm saying? What, what's the problem? It's hard to talk to somebody you don't know. It's very hard for me to talk to someone that I don't know for 15 minutes. It's gruesome. I try to think of everything in the book. I go from weather, and you know it's always brought up. Are you married? You know, that's always brought up. And then when you get married, what's the next question? Do you have kids? I'm going to start asking people, when are you going to retire? You know. Come on, somebody. I guess if they're going to be bold with me, I can be bold. So, you know, it's just the common questions. You married? You have kids? You know, how old are you? You know, what's the weather like? You know, it's just all these, these questions. And if you don't know them, it's hard. So what do you do? You get on your phone and you talk to somebody that you don't have to look at. So what's the point? The reason we don't pray is because we don't know God. You don't know God. Glad I'm back home. Is this all right? Is this all right? 
This is a hard word, isn't it? Number three, issues with idolatry. Sometimes we're not close to God is because there's issues with idolatry. What is an idol? An idol is anything that has greater priority in our life than God. It, she, or he. Time, energy, or resources put into anything except for God. I have seen people literally take their kids all over the country to basketball tournaments, you name it, all over the country and spend thousands of dollars and wouldn't dare darken the house of God on a Sunday morning and then wonder what's wrong with their kids. It's an idol. And I'm going to say this. If we have our kids out on Sunday morning playing ball and they're not in the house of God, that's a shame, ladies and gentlemen. It's a shame. They should be in the house of God. Anything, and I know I harp on that because I've got, I, I don't mean to harp on it, but as a pastor, I, everything's pressing for our time. Everything is pressing for our time. There's six days a week for us to do things and we can at least give God something on Sunday morning where our kids can be taught the principles and precepts of the Word of God. Amen. Can I hear an amen? An idol is anything in your life that has a greater priority than God. How do I know that i got an idol in my life? Number one, you have an idol in your life. Number one, who do you run to when you're in trouble? Who is the first person you run to for help? Because the first person you run to for help is the person you get your strength from. So that is an indication of your idol. It could be your husband, could be your wife, could be your children, could be anybody. But what is your idol? Who do you run to in the time of trouble? Because the person you run to in the time of trouble is an indication of where you get your strength from. And number two... What do you think about the first thing in the morning? Because the first thing you think about in the morning is an indication of the residue that's on your heart. What is the first thing that you think about in the morning? What is an idol as anything that has greater priority in your life other than God? That is an idol. Number four, number four, I'm almost done, is distant by doubt. Distant by doubt. Distant by doubt will take you further away from God. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 that Jesus could not do many miracles because of their unbelief. Let me say this loud and clear. That God will never do any more than your faith will allow. God will not do any more than your faith will allow. Jesus told Mary, do you believe that your brother will rise again? He told the man that was lame for 38 years, do you want to be made well? In other words, Jesus is asking us today, your level of expectation is really at the level of your faith. Do you believe that I'm able to do it? And sometimes our doubt holds back the hand of God. God wants to move in this church. God wants to move in your life. As a matter of fact, 
Paul said, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He really wants to do mighty things in your life. But God cannot and will not do it unless your faith is at that level. I will never do more than your faith will allow me to do. Can you believe God for big things? Will you believe and trust God for big things? Lastly, what moves us away from God is sinful situations. Sinful situations. You see, the Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, this is what David, this is what David said, Psalm 66, 18. They're going to put it behind me. Psalm 66, 18. David said it very clear. He said in Psalm 66, verse 18, he said it like this. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you would not hear me. In other words, David said, if there's sin in my heart, God, you're not going to hear me. David also said in Psalm 51 and verse number 3, look at this, Psalm 51 verse number 3. Look at what David said about his sin. In Psalm 51 verse number 3, Psalm 51 verse number 3, I want you to get this as I close. Psalm 51 verse number 3, look at what David said in verse number 3. Psalm 51 verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned. You see what David is saying? David is saying, wherever I go, my sin is always before me. I go to church, my sin is before me. I go to the house, my sin is before me. I go to work, and my sin is before me. You know what God is trying to say? Your sin is before you because you've got to see it before you confess it. Did you hear me? You've got to see it before you confess it. And sometimes we don't confess our sin because we're trying to ignore the sin. David said, I can't ignore my sin. My sin is before my very eyes. Everywhere I look, my sin is before me. And God is saying, I put it before you so you can acknowledge it and see it so you can confess it. You've got to see the sin for what it's worth so you can confess it. Don't, don't treat your sin like dirty laundry. We take all of our dirty laundry and throw it in the laundry basket and then wash it. You need to take your dirty laundry and say, the shirt has a stain on it. I acknowledge the stain. My shorts, I spill ketchup on it. My pants has mustard on it. Acknowledge the sin that's on the clothes and quit bundling the clothes up and throw it in the washer and ignoring the sin. Acknowledge the stain and confess it and see it and let God deal with it. Can I hear an amen? Because our tendency with sin is this. God, forgive me of all my sins. That's what you're doing. You're bundling all your dirty laundry up and you're not paying attention to the stains. Acknowledge it. Now you can't remember all your sins. But when the Holy Spirit brings it to your remembrance, see it and confess it. 
Can I hear an amen? Don't live in bondage, but if he brings it to your remembrance, see it and confess it. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? A.W. Tozer said, sometimes if you feel distant from God, who moved? Sometimes we have moved because of the burden of busyness. Sometimes we have moved because of our poor prayer life. Sometimes we have moved because we have issues with adultery. Sometimes we have moved because we have distanced ourselves with doubt. Sometimes we have moved because we have failed to see the sin and confess it in sinful situations. But I'm glad the Bible says in 1 John that if we sin, that we have an advocate with the Father, that if we confess it, that He will forgive our sins. So what are you saying, Pastor? I am saying there is hope this morning. There is forgiveness this morning. There is redemption this morning. You don't have to be distant from God. You can run back to God. You have the ability to be close to God. You have the ability to be God's best friend. Oh, is there somebody that can wave your hand and say, I want to be like Abraham. I want to be God's friend this morning. Oh, hallelujah. The good thing is, I control how far I'm away from God. I am the one that controls how far I've walked away from God. And this morning I can make a decision that I can go back to God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's up to us. Let's go back to God. He's been waiting a long time. He's never moved. He's been in the same place he's been all this time. He's not mad at you. He ain't angry at you. He's like the dad found in the prodigal son with his arms stretched wide. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to run back to Him. Come back to God. Run back to Him this morning and say, God, I have felt you. I have been busy with my life. I, I have neglected to pray. I've not seen my own faults and failures. I'm the one that has walked away from you, God. You've never walked away from me. Oh, see, that's a powerful affirmation. Instead of coming to the altar saying, God, where are you? Why don't you come today and say, God, here am I. You've never moved. I'm the one that's moved. It's been me all along. What about it? Can you feel the presence of the Lord this morning? 
as He calls all of us to a deeper level of intimacy with Him. He calls us to aside from the busyness of life to recommit ourselves to a place where we find Him once again. I surrender. 